blessed to be here with you today. And we want to talk to you a little bit about this idea of generations. And I want to talk to you specifically about why it's important that we make sure that our kids have the proper experience with God. I'll talk to you today about building a house. And uh, I want to draw you into the conversation because typically uh, when, we, when I talk about this topic, I tend to lose adults. Uh, we start talking about kids and the adults start thinking about lunch. And so I want to draw you into this conversation because for me personally, Kathy and I have a mandate on our lives. We believe that one of the voices that God has given us in this generation is to share with you what I'm going to share with you today the importance of raising strong kids to serve and to love God, but to unleash their potential and their serviceability and their leadership ability while they're still kids. And so we target kids between the fourth and our fourth, fifth, and sixth grade is our, our primary target. We've been doing this now for about 20 years. We've developed a program called Quest Student Leadership that helps to empower young students to be leaders as kids. And we've seen absolutely tremendous results. And I want to share with you today why it's important to you, why it matters for you personally, why it matters for your home and your family, why this matters for this family, coastal family. So if you'll help me out, we'll get through it in about roughly two and a half hours. So <laughs> open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 22, if you would. Proverbs chapter 22. And everybody's thinking, I knew I should have brought a snack. <laughs> Proverbs 22. And we're going to talk about that scripture a little bit as we go along here. But I want to talk to you about building the house. Building the house. So uh, you may have, I don't know if you have or not, but there may have been a point in your life where you've dreamed about a house. Anybody have a dream house? Or one you're looking to build? Maybe someday you're going to build a house, so on and so forth. Uh, You know, maybe, for example, you uh, dream about having a home that has, uh, it's on the water, for example. Maybe a house on the water. Just a quaint little place where you can come home after work, kick back and relax and look out over the, the water and just enjoy the evening or Maybe you've dreamed of a house that, is, um, that is, has a little bit of a sunset view. Maybe just a small backyard and a good view of the sunset. Just a, again, just a quaint little, just, just for us. 25,000 square feet, you know, nothing, nothing huge. Or maybe for you, it's, uh, I always wanted a place with a pool. In a nice little backyard, in a pool, somewhere we can enjoy, the kids can come over, swim, and hang out. A dream house, your dream house. So now I'm going to take you a little bit into the HGTV style, and I want you to think about what your non-negotiables are for your house. When you talk, when you think about this dream house, building it, buying it, what are the non-negotiables? What are your must-haves that you want to have in this house? I want you to think about this, and I'd like for you actually to talk to your Uh, the person sitting next to you about this as well, maybe a few people around you. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds just to talk this out, talk it out loud. What are some must-haves? For example, you know what? You might say, I need at least three bedrooms. I need an attached garage. I'd like to have uh, to be close to work, that kind of thing. Just talk about it. What are your non-negotiables in this dream house? And then I'll pull you back in in about 15 seconds. Go ahead and talk about it, the person next to you. All right. So I can tell some of you are really dreaming. I can hear some of what you're saying. This is good. It's good. Here's what I'd like for you to do. On the count of three, I want you just to shout out one of your dream non-negotiables in this house. You ready? One, two, three. 
Awesome. I heard arcade, game room. That's cool. All right. Good. Good. You're dreaming. I like it. I like it. So now I want you to kind of flash forward a little bit. I want you to look out nine months into the future. So you've positioned yourself financially. You've saved. You've made some cutbacks. You've changed a little bit of your lifestyle for the purpose of putting yourself in position to be able to build this house or buy this house now. And you're now nine months out in the future and you either found the house or now you've built the house that has everything you've ever dreamed of having in your home. You call up the contractor and you say, hey, we're ready to go. We have the money. They show up, they get the blueprints, they begin building the house. And uh, after a while, about nine months later now, it's all done. And the contractor calls you and says, hey, your house is ready. Come get the keys. So you get excited, you get in your car, you drive over to the location and sure enough, he hands you the keys to your brand new dream house. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? Yeah, all right. So you take those keys, you go to the front door, you unlock the door, you walk in, you're looking around, you're enjoying this view, and you walk over to the switch on the wall, and you're like, let's get a good look at it, and you flip the switch on the wall to turn the lights on, but the lights don't come on. So you kind of flip the switch again, and the lights don't come on. You're like, there's got to be... Maybe it's just the switch. And so you go to your nice new stainless steel refrigerator. You know, the one with the iPad on the outside that orders the milk for you, right? And you go over to the refrigerator and the iPad's not on. And you're thinking, well, okay, maybe it just needs a system reboot. So you open the refrigerator door. The light doesn't come on and it's not cold. The refrigerator's not working. You listen closely. You can't hear it running. So now you're a little frustrated. So you get on the phone and you call your contractor and you say, you know this beautiful new dream home that I've dreamed about for 27 years? This house that we planned so hard for, we saved and we scrimped for, and now we're ready for, and that you just built, the electricity is not working. And you're a little bit frustrated, but just trying to be kind. It's not working, the bridge is not running, the lights are not coming on. And so he's on the other end of the line, and he says to you, oh, no, no, I know, it's okay. And you're like, what do you mean it's okay? No, no. You have to understand, early in the process as we were building the house, the electrician was not available to put in the electricity, but we didn't want to be behind. We wanted to make sure that you got in on time. We did not want to miss your deadline. So we just said, you know what? Let's just go ahead and build the house. We'll go ahead and finish it all out. And when we're done, whenever the electrician can come back, we'll have him come back and put the electricity in. And you're thinking, have you lost your mind? And he says, but here's the good news. The good news is I just got off the phone with the electrical contractor. He can be out in two weeks and he'll have it installed. And in about three months, you'll have electricity in your new house. So calmly, you react like any good Christian would to this news. <laughs> As you're thinking to yourself, why didn't you just put the wiring in when you had the chance? Because now think about what all is going to have to happen in order for the wiring to get put in to your nice, new, beautiful home. And you might think, well, this is absurd. This is crazy. This would never happen. This has never happened in the history of construction. You probably would be right. But I want to tell you, it's happening today all across this nation and around the world to people, to person after person after person. Because the truth is, is that this house that we're talking about building isn't just your dream home on water with a huge pool in the backyard and an amazing view of the sunset. This dream home we're talking about is our lives. It's who we are. It's who we're becoming. It's who the next generation is growing up to be. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, this is what the Bible says. It says, to train up a child in the way he should go, 
and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I want to take this scripture today, and I want to share with you three phases for building a house, and I want to share with you why it matters to where you are today, why it matters to your family, and why it matters to this church. Let's talk about the house. What is the house that we're talking about? As I mentioned a second ago, this house that we're talking about is you. You know, the Bible says that don't you know that your body is the house of the Holy Spirit? You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Everywhere you go every day, every interaction that you have, every investment that you make, every initiative that you take, every business that you start, all as, is a result of who you are and the Spirit of God lives inside of you and in every one of those experiences, the Spirit of God is there. You house the Spirit of God. He lives inside of you. So the first house that we're talking about is you. The second house that we're talking about is your house, your home. This is your family. This is your, uh, your experience. These are your relationships. This is your, your children, your house. And the third house that we're talking about is God's house, which for our discussion is coastal family. So when we talk about the house, three phases of building the house, we're talking about building you, we're talking about building your home, your home, your family, and we're talking about building this church. Because when we talk about the idea of building the house, from God's perspective, building the house means building people. See, we come to church, we, go to the, we come to this place and in this building, and we often just, we check it off as though we've done a spiritual ritual, we've met our spiritual obligation for the week, we've gone to church, glad that's out of the way, let's get on with the rest of our lives. But the truth is, is that this is nothing more than a gathering of God's people. It's a family gathering of families. When you think about coastal family church, the thing that makes coastal family strong is strong families. Strong families make a strong church. Strong church makes a strong community. That's God's design. That's how it's supposed to work. And so when we talk about building the house, it has to begin with your house. And that house begins with you. So we're going to talk about these phases today of building the house from God's perspective of building people. Because as far as God's concerned, it's all about people. It's all about you. And the good news is you're a people. So God loves you and he's all about you. And he has brought, and aren't you thankful that God moved on Pastor Stephen and Tiffany Westcott's hearts to come back to their hometown and launch Coastal Family Church? Aren't you thankful today for that? Don't you believe that that has had an impact on this community? Why did God do it? He did it because of you. He did it for you and your family. He did it for your children that are coming up behind you. See, God moves on the hearts of people for people. So when we talk about building the house, your pastors are here, the team that's around them and serves them, and you, your assignment is to help build people in this region. How many of you know somebody today that needs Jesus in their life? That's our role. That's our responsibility. We're here to build them and help them experience God. I want to show you how this works today and why this season that you're coming into as Coastal Family is going to be a, a surge into the next season. It's going to be a surge to the next level of what God has for you. All right, so three phases of building the house. I want to talk to you about this. And first of all, I want to take a look at it 
from a physical perspective, if we're building an actual, if we were actually building your dream home, so if we're going to show up and start swinging a hammer and build that dream home, there are three basic phases that we would go through. Now, if you're in the construction business, give me a little bit of a break. I am not a construction expert, but I do know enough to know these are three of the steps that you would have to go through to build that house. We begin with the framework. The framework is simply just the foundation of what we call the sticks. The frame goes up of the house, and that house is still open, but you begin to see what that house is going to look like. In fact, when you look at a house in the framework uh, phase, you can see its shape. You can imagine, we've walked through houses before that weren't finished, but you can walk through and you say, well, here's where the bedroom's going to be, and over here is, is the walk-in closet, this over here is your wife's walk-in closet, <laughs> and then here's your closet right here. And even though it's just sticks, you can see how it's going to be laid out and what it's, what it's going to look like. Then the second phase is the wiring phase. This is while the walls are still open, the wiring goes in. All the electricity gets put in. The plumbing also gets put in and so on. So everything that's going to go into the walls of the home gets put in. And then once that wiring is all finished, then the walls get put up, the drywall gets put up, the paint gets put on, the, the border trim gets put down, the carpet gets put down. Everything else goes into place once the wiring is done. And by that time, now you have a finished home. So the process in building a house, the three phases of building a house are the same as the processes of building people. So if we look at this from a person perspective, what we see is that the framework represents birth to seven years. This is where we're learning things like motor skills. It's where we're beginning to recognize object permanence, that when mom and dad leave the room, they're not gone forever. They're going to come back. In these birth to seven years, we're learning how the world works around us, our relationship to other people how to walk, how to talk, how to feed ourselves, how to not mess ourselves, how, how to function in this world. Birth to seven years is our framework. Our personality begins to really come out here. And you can begin to see already by the age of six, seven years old what somebody's going to be like, how they think, how they operate, how what their framework is like. And then the wiring phase is the phase of about 7 to 12 years. So between 7 and 12 years is where our wiring gets put in place, and this represents our spiritual and moral foundations. This represents how we view the world around us. Our emotions really begin to take shape in these years, how we interact with others. It's in the 7 to 12 years that we discover it's not all about us. So there are some probably 40-year-olds, 7-year-olds in this room today (laughs) still discovering it's not about you. It's not all about you. 7 to 12 is where we get that perspective. It's not all, the world does not revolve around me. And we begin to recognize that other people share our feelings. Other people share the way that we think. And we begin to develop friendships based on these emotional realities and these spiritual and moral realities. That's when these things get put into place. And then finally, we finish out in the finishing years, the 14 plus years, is what we call reflection. Reflection. The reflection phase simply means this, that our lives now reflect everything that's happened in the first 12 years. So from this point forward, very little changes about who we are. It's set in stone. In fact, we know scientifically and research indicates to us that by the age of 14, our moral and spiritual foundation is set in stone. We really don't change how we think and feel about things in the world around us. If it's not already there, it probably won't appear. 
There obviously are exceptions to the rule, but they're exactly that, exceptions, and they're a very small percentage of exceptions to that. Let me show you how this works. The first phase was a lot of change that's happening. It's estimated that 90% of what we know in life, we learn by the time we're 12 years old. In fact, we recognize that the vast majority of that happens by the time we hit first grade. What have we learned? We've learned how to interact with others. We've learned the basics of life. The rest of it is just education from that point. But who we are is pretty much set in place. And we recognize that in the second phase of our lives, very little changes. In fact, did you know that your brain is actually physically wired to not like change? Have you ever thought to yourself, I don't, I don't like all this change. You ever been around somebody that's like, it's just so much happening. I don't know what's going on. There's too much change happening. Well, that's your brain. Your brain is, is wired physically to not change. For the, for the brain, energy is life. And so the least that your brain has to use energy, the longer it gets to live. And so your brain is constantly looking to conserve energy, and it uses a system called habits to do that. Have you, ever, have you ever been somewhere like today? Some of you will probably do this. And this is my reminder to you to stop at the store and get milk today when you leave church. But even though I said it to you, there'll be some of you who'll leave church, get in your car. 15 minutes later, you'll be sitting in the driveway of your home thinking to yourself, I forgot to go get milk. Why is that? Because your brain says, I know what this process is like. And when you leave the church, it turns on a habit loop. That when you get in the car, you simply drive straight home because that's what you do every week. This stopping by the store to get milk was an exception. And the brain doesn't want to think about exceptions. It wants to think about habits. It doesn't want to change. It wants to do the same thing over and over and over again. It's why when you came to church today, you're probably sitting in the same chair you sat in last week. (laughs) If you were here last week. We see it over and over again. We see especially in, in, in church that people will come in. I know people that all my life, growing up in church, 55 plus years, raised in church, that was their seat. I've actually watched people get upset when they would come in and there was a visitor in their seat. They look like, my dad would say it this way, they look like a cow staring at a new fence. No idea what to do. Why? Because the brain went into habit loop. See, what happens is that this stage in our life, very little changes. Why? Because our brain is looking to conserve energy. It's taking those first 12 formidable years and saying, this is who I am. It's how I think. It's what I do. And our life just simply reflects that reality as we grow older. How does this work out for us in physical terms of our relationships? We look at it this way. Our infancy up to just our our toddler years or our motor skills, the world around us perspective then our wiring gets put into place, our spiritual and moral foundation gets put into place, and then we reflect that for the rest of our lives. I want to spell it out to you this way. The truth is, is that any change that's going to happen at this time in our life, once you're past the age of about 14, any change that happens from that point forward will most likely, almost certainly, have roots in our earlier years. In other words, our ability to change how we think, how we feel, our perspective in life, almost certainly has roots already implanted from our early years. We might even say it this way, that if there's any desired change at this point in our lives, we are almost certainly going to have to, in every situation, 
We're going to have to deal with roots that were put into us when we were kids. In other words, if I want something to be different today about my life, I'm going to have to deal with the connection of when I was younger. I have to do something about that. And so we recognize the connection between these two things. And the reason I wanted to start out with this is because I told you before that a lot of times when I talk about this, I lose adults. You start talking about kids, and for some reason, in fact, can I, let me just do a quick poll. This will help us. I, I love to do this because uh, there's kind of a running total I'm keeping track of on this. I do this as often as I can. So I'd like for you to answer this question by raising your hand, and, uh, I, but I only want you to raise your hand if this is 100% true of you. So please don't squint. Don't say, it's 99.9, so I'm going to raise my hand, that's close. No, only 100% true. Otherwise, don't raise your hand, all right? So this is a quick poll I like to do. I'd like to know that if, if you are in here today, and at some point in your life you were a child, raise your hand. <laughs> Craziness. This is crazy. So it's easy to keep track of the total because it's 100%. Everywhere I go. See, I believe that what, a lot of what happens in life is that at some point, I don't know where it is yet, but at some point, a lot of us when we get older forget we were ever children. We, 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 we want to think, well, I put all that stuff away. It has nothing to do with me today. That's not who I am today. But the truth is that you are who you are today because of all that. It is not only advising, but it is dictating who you are. It's dictating who I am. And not always bad. It's, it's not necessarily bad. A lot of it's good. Are there any, anybody here today a loyal person? Somebody's loyal. I'm loyal. If you have me as a friend, I'm a friend. How many of you like loyal friends? People you can count on. Well, that's good. But guess what? That got developed back here when you were a child. Somewhere along the way, there was a value inserted into your life. You saw maybe in another or it's just a part of your personality and it got nurtured to be loyal and that expectation was there and you carry that with you today as an adult. How many of you know somebody who's a hard worker? Hard workers. Anybody have that kind of hard worker attitude that says, man, it's all about hard work and I can't stand being around people that don't want to work hard. I saw some people look at each other there. You know, if you have a hard work mentality, it's hard to be hanging out with people who stand around like this. You want to know why? I'm a hard worker. By nature, I'm a hard worker. You know why when I come into a situation where people are working, it's difficult for me to stand around and not work? If I were to come to your house and you were outside working in the garden, it'd only be about five, seven minutes before I was down on my knees helping you work in the garden. Why is that? Well, I can tell you. My dad was a hard worker. And I'll never forget the day that I was standing in our garage and he was working in our garage one cold day trying to get the garage door to work. It wouldn't come down and it was freezing in our garage. And he was out on his hands and knees working on this garage door. And he's trying to figure it all out. And I walked out and I was out there to help him. <laughs> and I'll never forget standing there next to my dad watching him work just like this with my hands in my pockets. And he was frustrated. My dad's a godly man, God-fearing, loving father. And he was down on his hands and knees working. And he looked up at me with my hands in my pockets and I'll never forget it. He said, get your hands out of your pockets. Guess what I did? I got my hands out of my pockets. I'll never forget that experience. And guess what it did for me? 
It solidified something in me that says hard work is valuable. And guess what? I carry that with me today. My, my propensity to be a hard worker is based on those experiences. I can't escape it. It's made me who I am today, and you can't escape it either. We might, we might want to try to deny that we were ever children, that we were certain things, but we can't escape it. It's true of who we are. And so I, I want to start with this because I want to draw you into the finish of this conversation. Because I believe that God has mandated this generation to raise up young kids who will serve God with their whole heart. That we as a church would not miss the opportunity to wire our children the right way. Because guess what? Now where we are in life, if we want to to fix a, a bad thought, we have a wrong thinking, or we missed a truth that we didn't get before, now what do we have to do? We gotta tear the walls out. We gotta do some destruction so we can do some reconstruction. It's just like getting the call from that contractor. He's saying, yeah, I'm sending the electrician out. I know everything's up. I know your pictures are on the wall. I know you got your furniture right where you want it, but we're going to have to come take all that stuff down so we can put the electricity in the right way. God has to do the same thing in us sometimes. That thing that you've set up in your life that you really enjoy, that, that, that thought, that mentality, that approach, it's not correct. It's not right. But if you'll allow me to do my work, I'll come pull that down off those studs and I'll put the right thinking in your heart. I'll rewire you, and where you'll end up will be better than you've ever experienced before. Here's what we know. is Our greatest opportunity for impacting the journey of people is in that time frame, between the ages of 4 and 14. One of the things that we know statistically that we see is that 84% of Christian adults today said they first gave their hearts to Christ between the ages of 4 and 14. So that first encounter with Christ happened at an early age, and guess what? It stuck with them. Isn't that what Proverbs 22, 6 says, though? Train up a child on the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Not long ago, the Holy Spirit gave me a dream, I believe. And in this dream, I was out front of our house with my, uh, a couple of my brother-in-laws and a few of our, our kids, and we're just playing catch with a football. And as we started playing catch with the football, kids from the neighborhood started coming around, and they wanted to play catch. And so they were kids in the age, I'd say, anywhere from uh, third to sixth grade. Then they started coming around, and so we started throwing the football to more and more kids that came around. By the time the dream was over, you couldn't see the streets anymore because of all the kids. And I could tell in this dream that not all of these kids came from whole homes. They came from challenges. They came from a lack of parenting. That they, I could tell in their eyes and in their interaction that there was a desperation for community and being significant and being important to people. And so we were just playing catch with the football. That's all we were doing. But they were coming from everywhere. And as soon as I woke up from the dream, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but in my heart I heard very clearly him say to me, child evangelism. Now you have to recognize this is something we've been doing for 25 years. For 25 years, Kathy and I have been doing kids' ministry and traveling and doing evangelism for kids and so on. So that idea of a child evangelism was was nothing new for me. But it's what he said afterward that I can't escape. He said, child evangelism. And it was followed by this thought. If you just plant the seed early, we can work with it later. 
But if the seed's not there, there's no hope. Think about it. If while the walls are open on the house, you don't put the electricity in, you'll never have electricity in your house. Ever. You'll never have it. There won't be a miracle where the wiring just simply appears because we're good people. It just won't happen. We have two options. We either put the wiring in the right phase, or we tear the walls out and put the wiring in later. Those are the only two ways that there'll ever be electricity in that house, and those are the only two ways that the Spirit of God will ever dwell in the heart of a person, that the purpose of God will ever be in the heart of a person, is if they either got it early or God did a reconstructive work in their life. Let's talk about this as we end out today. So in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 2, the Bible says this, that Jesus called little children to him, and he put the child among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And for me, this is one of the most hopeful scriptures you can read. Because what this shows us, now we read this and we might think, well, you mean I have to act immature? Some of us have that down already, so we're there, we're good. <laughs> what does that mean? How do, I, how do I become like a little child? How do I... Because we often think about a little child and we think, well, you know, they have this sense of awe about them, right? We say, well, they have such a sense of awe and discovery. You know, we just came from the Statue of Liberty. It was like, man, this is amazing. And the Shenandoah National Park is like, whoa, this is awesome. That sense of awe. But how do you develop that as an adult if you don't have it already? How do you develop a sense of awe? How does that work? We talk about little children and saying, well, you know, they they just don't know much. They don't know much, so they're just easier to teach. How do you become like that? How do you become like I don't know much? Because most of us think we know everything. So how are we going to ever think we don't know much? And I believe what the Holy Spirit showed me about this scripture that's so powerful for us today is that in, in relationship to the analogy we're talking about with building the house, when Jesus says you have to become like a little child, here's what I believe he's telling us, and I want to share with you two approaches for fixing the house. Number one, is that if you're 12 years plus old, that means you're going to have to take down the walls and address faulty wiring. How do we become like a little child? Well, if a little child is represented by the sticks on the foundation without any drywall or any of that on it yet, then what do we have to do? We're going to have to take some stuff down out of our lives. We're going to have to be willing to take that opinion and set it aside for the sake of receiving truth. We're going to have to take that attitude And we're going to have to humble it before the power of the word of God. So what I'm more interested in is not defending my position, but being rewired by the Holy Spirit. Because I want God's full power to flow in my house. Me, my house, my family and home, my house, my church. And the only way it's going to happen is if we take these preconceived ideas down and we humble ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to take those things down out of our lives so that we can be exposed once again. We become like a little child so we can be rewired. Maybe you're there today. Maybe there are some areas you recognize already. You say, you know what? I, I got I to work on that. I've got to change that attitude. It's, it's holding me back. I've dealt with it. I've got to I've got to come to a new place of understanding, so it's going to mean letting go of some of those old things. Here's some good news. I love what you said, Pastor Tiffany, about getting behind the people that have the shield. What a beautiful, powerful picture that is, because I need to do that sometimes. I need to, I, I do that with my wife, Kathy. There are, there are seasons I go through, I get behind her shield. 
I'm being serious. There, there are things that she has greater faith for than I have faith for. So when we go through a season where that's the faith that's needed, man, I, I crawl in behind her shield. It's not a bad view, I'm telling you, but, you know. I'll be honest, sometimes I sneak back behind that shield for other reasons. I'm not going to lie about it. <laughs> Sorry, Grant. But, uh, but here's some good news for you, Coastal family. You have two amazing warriors who are raising up more amazing warriors that are, will help you. If you don't know, you can get in behind their shield. You can get in behind their knowledge. You can come alongside. You can have a conversation. And they will help with the help of the Holy Spirit to show us how. How do we have to go through this process of letting our guard down so God can really rewire our thinking? But it has to, that's, that's one of the things that we have to do if we're going to be healthy. If you're 12 years plus old, we have to address these things. So how do we do it? We do it by being willing to openly admit the things that need to change and have the courage to renew the thinking. So you, if you know it, let's go for it. Let's do it. In Psalm chapter 52 and verse 10, it says this. David said it this way. He said, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. So you know it's possible. Just pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, renew my thinking. God, create in me a clean heart. Help me start over in this area. I don't want to live with this old thinking. It's not getting me anywhere. I'll defend it like it matters. I'll defend it like it's important. I'll say, well, it's just who I am. Well, stop being that. If you don't like it, don't be that anymore. You don't have to be that. Just because you've been it for so long doesn't mean you have to keep being it. It's good news. Throw it off. Say, I'm done with it. You know, we, uh, when Kathy and I, are, one of the first houses that we lived in was a house right next to my parents. It was an older house. And upstairs in that house was uh, just a bedroom and a bathroom and, a closet and a, 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 an office and stuff. So we wanted to renovate it to use it. But the bathroom was just junked out. I mean, it was nasty. And so we decided to renovate that little bathroom. And, of course, my dad was a carpenter growing up, so he knew how to do all these things. So we kind of worked it together a little bit. But I, I'll never forget taking a hammer and hitting the wall for the first time and just, it's hard as I can hit that wall and start tearing it up and tear it out. And uh, I didn't know it, but the walls were lath and plaster. And if anybody knows anything about construction, lath and plaster is not like drywall today. Drywall, you can punch your hand through drywall. Lath and plaster, not so much. Lath are strips of wood that go along the wall this way. They're about that far apart. And then the plaster is applied to it like a concrete. The plaster goes in between the, the gaps in the lath and gets a hold on the other side of that lath. And it's solid and it's hard and it's in there and it does not want to come out. And so when I swung that hammer for the first time, boom, that hammer came bouncing back at me and dust flew everywhere. And I looked at the wall, you couldn't even hardly tell I hit the wall. And there was just dust everywhere. And I was like, all right, game on, here we go. Hammers, crowbars, sledgehammers, and I began to tear that wall out. You talk about a mess. It was horrible. I was blowing black boogers for weeks. It was horrible. And it was dusty and just a mess and hard, hard work. And I'll never forget, we actually found a bunch of bat bones in that wall. There were a bunch of bats that had died inside that wall and skeletons all up in there and stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. And it was nasty, dirty work. And it went on for weeks and weeks. And there were a lot of points in there where I wanted to give up. Where I was like, this is too hard. 
It's too messy. We're never going to get it done. But I can tell you that because we persevered when we were done, the finished product was well worth all the effort. So we got to enjoy a nice bathroom that was up there and it, up the value of the home and all of that. But I could have given up. That first swing, I could have said, no way, I don't, I don't have... I don't have the energy for the effort. And I believe that there are a lot of us today who are saying that about our lives. God has shown us areas that need to be deconstructed, but we've started the process and it's just too messy. It's too dirty. We know what's hidden behind the wall. And the last thing we want to do is reveal those skeletons. But the only way that God's going to be able to rewire who we are and bring us into a more powerful day, bring us into a more powerful calling, is that we've got to get willing to pull off the lath and plaster get a little bit dirty, blow some black boogers for a while and say it's going to be worth it in the end. What God's going to do in me and in my family and in this church is going to be worth the grit and the effort and the grind of a little bit of time that it's going to take. So when David says, create in me a clean heart, it's not like God just went, clean heart. Read David's story. It reads a lot like renovating that small bathroom on our house. A lot of dust and dirt and hidden stuff. But man, what he comes out as under the mighty hand of God is absolutely undeniable. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this to us, don't copy the behavior of the world and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So guys, the first thing that we have to do is be willing to allow ourselves to become like a little child, to throw off the things that stand between us and God, the old thinking, the wrong thinking, the, 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 the things that need to change, expose ourselves to God and let him rewire us. Let him bring new power into our lives. You need help with that? Your pastors will help you with that. This team will help you with that process. And the final thing, number two, the second thing is that if you're between seven and 12 years old, we have to prioritize proper wiring early in the process. So as a church, as a church, you have to prioritize properly wiring kids and children early in life. But it's not just the church's role, it's the family's role. It's the role of the home inside as, as parents. If you have kids in that age range, we've got to emphasize properly wiring them in those early stages while they're open to receiving from God and, and placing the, those seeds into their life. So we have to make it our greatest priority, our greatest priority. And I want to tell you something. One of the reasons, I don't have time today to go into all this, but one of the reasons that we see the church of Jesus Christ struggling in our culture today is because this has not happened. We've tried, to, we've tried to outsmart the enemy through entertainment. But he can compete with us on that level. The enemy can compete with us on the entertainment level. But can I tell you something? He's no match for the power of God. So, so when we make it a priority to wire our children for the power of God, then the enemy is no match for them later in life. Train them up in the way they should go. Not just the way they could go or want to go, the way they should go. Just because we could do something doesn't mean we should do it. Just because we want to do something doesn't mean we should do it. But when we know what we should do and we do it, the Bible says you train them in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. So we have to analyze, are these just things we could do? Just things we want to do or things we should do? And if we will do those things, then we have the promise of God, Proverbs 22, 6. They will not depart from it. the way. Final thought. What is the way? The way is the proper wiring. What is the proper wiring? It is simply this. 
is recognizing who they are in Christ, discovering God's purpose for their lives, and engaging their gifts for God's purpose. Now you might say, well, what does this mean to me? How does this, why does this matter to me? Well, it matters to you and I because we were kids once. We were children. Everybody admitted to it earlier. We were children at one point. And I have to ask you this question. Looking back on your life, if there are things that would have been done differently, would it have made a difference for you today? Are there things that you maybe could have gotten early on in life that would have changed where you are today? That you look back on and recognize, man, if only I had gotten that. If only I had known that then, what a difference it would have made for me today. So what does that look like for us now? Well, the two things that I shared with you. Don't give up on it. If you recognize there is something missing in your life from early on, the Bible says God will restore that in you. It's going to mean addressing some things. It's going to mean challenging and confronting some stuff in your life, but you can do it. The Holy Spirit will help you. He'll get those things back put into you, and the Bible says he'll even restore the years you lost. All those years you spent without that knowledge, that you look back and go, if only I had known, it's okay. God's able. Speed up the process. Help you discover that truth. Change the way you think and reflect that in your reality. We see it all the time. But even more importantly than that, not more importantly, but equally as important, is what you do with kids. Because you might think, well, I don't have a call to kids' ministry. I don't want to be a part of the kids' ministry. I don't necessarily like kids that much. Totally get that. Just remember you were a kid. Probably a lot of people didn't like you either, but there are things. Just kidding. But there are things you can do. You can encourage kids. You can, be a, you can be a cheerleader for them. You can pray for them. You can engage with the ministry. You can serve them. You can help coach them. You can train them. You can teach them. You can, you can walk by them at Coastal Family on a Sunday morning and say, you're awesome. I'm praying for you. You can raise your own kids in your own home to serve God and fear God and recognize I'm going to do for them what maybe wasn't done for me by somebody else, but now God is doing for me. I'm going to do for them right now while they're open, while the walls are open. I'm putting this wiring in. It's talking about building the house, building the house. Can I pray for you today? Has this been helpful at all? Insightful, helpful? Let me just, let me just pray for you right now. If you would just bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your spirit. We thank you for your your love, your love and compassion upon our lives, Lord. There are so many people today, God, that are hurting. They've experienced things in their lives, God, that in some cases are even unspeakable. There are things that they've gone through that they've not shared with anybody, Lord. And they hurt from it. They feel it. It's shown up in their life today, God, and they're not, they'd love for it to change, but they're lost. They don't know how. What's it going to look like? God, so I just lift them up to you right now in prayer. Submit them to you, God, because you love them. You care about them. You care about those things they've experienced, Lord. And while the world may tell us 
that will never get away from it. It's always going to be a part of who we are. Lord, we know more about your blood. We know more about your grace than that. We know, God, that you're able to restore us completely, to release us from unforgiveness. Lord, you're able to release those in our lives that we're having a hard time forgiving, that we can come to a place, God, of total reconciliation. Lord, be it not only maybe with people, but if not with people, then with you. And you can restore us to a place of wholeness because your love, your love knows no limit. It's not bound by the things that have happened to us. It's not bound by the things that we've done. It's only bound by our faith in receiving it. And when we receive it, God, we unlock the power of your grace to forgive us and to reinstall all the right thinking, the right wiring, Lord, to bring full power into our house. And Lord, so I pray that today over my friends. God, that not one person sitting in here today would leave without having received the beginning of the restoration of your work in their lives. Lord, and even further than that, I pray that we'd all leave with a greater recognition of the role that we play in instilling these truths into the lives of young, young children, young people. So we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name. Why don't you just pray this prayer just quietly after me. Just say, Father God, I'm so grateful for your grace. Thank you for releasing me from those hurts. Thank you for helping me to release others from hurting me. Lord, the things that I did not get, help me to receive them today. Lord, the things I recognize I might have missed, I receive them by the grace of your spirit and the truth of your word in my life today. And I am determined to be full of the power of God, to not be held back by anything that did or did not happen in my past. But I will be the full demonstration. I will be your dream house. I will be who you've called me to be. And Father, we now turn our hearts toward the children. And we bind the hand of the enemy from over the children of Coastal Family and the Outer Banks in the name of Jesus. Lord, and I signal today a rising up of the Spirit of God in this place, in this church, in its families, and in this community like it's never seen, Lord. Lord, an awakening of the revival of bringing kids into the process of becoming leaders, into the process of using their gifts and talents, God, to serve you, finding their place in the house of God, that this house will be built, Lord, by your Spirit and by the truth of your word through that generation. We thank you, Lord, that not one heart or one mind or one hand will be turned against this effort, but all will come alongside to support and to propel the work that you're doing right now, God. We release that spirit 
upon this church family. We're thankful for your pastors that are here, Lord. The lights that you've brought into this house, we're thankful for them, God, and we just release that anointing upon them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, thank you for it, Father. Thank you for letting me take a moment.